0: hey y'all welcome to not tyler perry's
1: writer's room i'm crystal and i'm ashley so kick off your shoes relax your feet and let's get into it welcome back to part two yeah you're right Letty hot and she got every right to be And. I'm with her like she's not able to understand as I am not able to understand why he's been withholding all this information from her for this long time. Like, let's be real. Y'all done been through hella shit together. You know, she ride or die. Like, just let me know what's up so tick and i find like this is a theme you called it out earlier but there's so many characters in this particular episode especially that feel like not sharing or only sharing limited amounts of information is actually protection and it just doesn't work out that way and letty in a heated moment is like well basically tick you fucked up because ever since you came back everybody's died and i was like "Ooh, talk about coup de grace she went for the jugular and I don't even think that she was trying to be like intentionally mad I kind of feel like that is how she felt it was just so heated it came off like well damn it's it's like that because you see her pause for a minute before she goes to chase after him i love how she like didn't quite apologize but then still was very caring like well, where are you going like what's going on
0: she hit him with the like well you could just leave and started packing his shit for him and he's like letty what are you talking about and then when that nigga actually gets ready to leave she's like but where are you going like my nigga you just told me to leave what are you you confused right now like you need to figure out what's going on with you it's sis a
1: pregnancy hormones no and I, I like
0: <laughs> I don't get why Letty is so mad I kind of get it but I'm also like y'all sis y'all haven't had time for him to divulge that why would he divulge that anyways he don't know what the girl is why would he tell you some half-assed information all y'all been doing is trying to stay alive and having sex that's all y'all been doing where would he have the time to tell you all of this <laughs> y'all either laid up or y'all running for your life either or but nevertheless, she is big mad.
1: <laughs> Look, he says he's about to go fix it. And she's like, well, what does that mean? He said, I'm going to cast a spell. And she said, well, when you figure out how to cast spells? And he's like, oh, I met with Christina. She's like.
0: Oh. More lies. He met with
1: Christina. Oh. And he basically says that he also figured it out like the night before. They found out about emmett he's met with christina she advised him on how to cast a spell he says she told me in exchange for the key to the Ori. and lady's like bro you out your mind you know christina cannot be trusted shout out to the can't be trusted podcast i thought about that
0: <laughs> yeah i'm with her christina can't be trusted but he's like, well, I only gave her the key to the orrery. She can't do nothing with it because the machine is broke. And also she doesn't have the page, the rest of the pages. So it is what it is. It, you know, it actually worked out well for us. And um, she's beginning to think that like, maybe there's some validity to what G.I. was saying as far as like Tick's future, like seeing him die. Um, but Tick is, Tick is, he's decided, he already decided what he's going to do. And Letty is like, you can't keep making these decisions on your own. Cause there's too much at stake. And I think this is one of those moments where like, she wants to tell him she's pregnant. Like, and I literally said a few times, I think my partner can attest. Like I was talking to the TV. I was like, tell him you pregnant girl. Like this is, if you're going to leverage, this is the time to leverage. You can't go do that because I'm carrying your baby Like, But she, didn't even say that, but also didn't need to be said because Tick somehow already knew. And so she was thinking, You can't risk this because we have a family on the way. And he was thinking, I have to risk it for my family on the way. Um, I this
1: was a nice exchange because even though she hadn't told him she was pregnant, we know he knows that she's pregnant. And I feel like he definitely reassured her, like, I understand the weight of this decision. She just might not know his complete background and thinking. But I'm like, all right, bro, get it how
0: you live. Get it how you live. Go do you, bro. you know? Like, everybody who said, work ain't hard. Work, ain't, work is hard, but it pays the bills. Like, what you gonna do when they come for you? You know, this is a serious situation. Bro gotta go out and take care of his family the best way he knows how. Um am all blind. All on the line. And so now we're back at William's house and Ruby comes down the stairs and this banging ass wrap dress. Like, first of all, yes. sis, where are you getting all these bomb ass clothes for? Like you from? Like did you get that at your short time in Marshall Fields? Like as a, <laughs> like, as a small white woman, did you go into and all, I was going to say, Marshall Fields on not sell it. That's somebody that made that. But this is bad. And also an important thing to note, shout out to Naima because she pointed this out and I was like, this is so real. Because the costuming is always on point. Letty, yes. all the women always look on point. And Christina for one, always looks like a rich white woman. But when Ruby is in scenes with christina she makes christina look like shit like ruby yes, just ruby comes always through
1: shines and, in those i agree
0: ruby comes through like you gonna get this skin you gonna get these titties and i'm gonna make you look like shit and she definitely does ruby looks she amazing that dress. that dress man so ruby is talking to christina And she's describing how Emmett Till was murdered. So I guess I misspoke earlier. I thought she explained that to William, but she's actually explaining it to Christina as far as the barbed wire and the cotton gin. And this is also weird to me because you already had this conversation with William, it's the same person, sis. (laughs) What, what, this is so weird. And Ruby is telling Christina, like you'll never understand how it feels to feel how I'm feeling right now, she's like, "Didn't you know Emmett Till was murdered? Didn't you know today was his funeral?" And Christina is hello nonchalant white woman like, "I didn't." And and Ruby's like, "Don't you care?" And she's like, "I know you want me to say I do, but I don't." And I'm just like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, how do you think this relationship can work? Like, how this
1: is just this is so misinformed and misguided. And I'm just like, this is not. These are not your people to find that solace with. She does not, I don't understand why Ruby can't say she don't care. She don't care.
0: No. And she tells her how she's heartbroken and she's furious and she's just so damn tired of having to feel like this over and over and over again. And like, Christina has like no empathy. Like, she's not even like, oh, boo, I'm so sorry. Nothing. She's just sitting there with her legs crossed a little, like. I mean, it is what it is. And like Ruby starts getting on her head. Like, you'll never understand this. You have too much privilege. You'll never understand it. Um, we're just too different. And Christina's like, but are we though? Are we that different? Cause you are not on the South side with your people. You over here with me. So it seems to me like you like privilege, you like the entitlement and the privilege that comes with being white or proximity to whiteness, just like I like it. So really who's the, who's the victim here? I was like, Oh, she has a point.
1: Listen, she called her to the carpet real quick. Like you want me to give you some extra sympathy? Cause you are supposed to be with your people and you are over here. No, if you want to be with your people, you will be with your people. You where you want to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And she says something about, you know, she took the potion today um, because she didn't want to be like a black woman fucking a white man of today of all days. And it's like, there's some guilt. Yeah, you are. Um, But so, yeah, Christina is just like, you don't care either. And She's like, you took the potion because you wanted to hide from the fact that even on today, you are a woman who wants what she wants, despite everything else. So now who's acting entitled? Because you're getting on my head about being ambivalent to what's going on in the world and just being caring and concerned about what I want and my needs. But that seems to be what exactly what you're doing as well. and. Christina just bounces, and Ruby is there crying. She hit that um, Carrie Washington, yeah, yeah. She hit that Carrie Washington. I was like, okay, wow.
1: Better act.
0: (laughs) Yep, she doing. Ruby is doing her. Look at the titties. The titties do a lot, but her acting is also great because you can walk in the room with those titties. It's just like wow. But then she did the little lip quiver, and I was like, okay, sis, got you. <laughs> so now we're back to diana roaming the streets alone like this whole episode this poor little girl has been on her fucking own and right. i want to say shout out um to misha green who we know um is so responsible for this show but this was also her tv directorial debut and there's also another Black woman writer by the name of Ioma Ofore And this was her TV writing debut. And with that being said, with there being two Black women in the room making this thing happen, I feel like D walking around unprotected is a larger message about how Black girls are oftentimes left unprotected in this world. Um, And we know that to be a fact. We know that when we look at the amount of outcry and outrage that occurred with Breonna Taylor's murder, as opposed to all the black men who have been murdered by the police. And we're not making this a tip or tap thing. But, you know, when things happen to black girls and black women, most of the time, the only people who stand up and say something are black women are Black girls. When things happen to Black men, everybody stands up. Oh my gosh, this is a travesty. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And So so Diana walking around unprotected, this whole episode is just like who looks out for the little Black girls? Who? Her mama's gone. You know, like Hippolyta's not there. So her mama's not gone. Her father is no longer gone. Her uncle hasn't been able to protect her. Her big cousin hasn't been able to protect her. And let's talk about that because in the black community, um, being a big cousin means something. Tick yeah. supposed to have D right by his side. Like, I know my mama was like, I trust you to go places with your cousins because I know nothing will ever happen to you when you're with your cousins. But apparently Tick ain't that kind of cousin because he... <laughs> He off doing some other shit, and Diana is just being by her lonesome. And she goes to Letty's house. So she'd have been at everybody's house, right? She'd have made it to the north side of Chicago. She's in Letty's house now, looking for Tick, and she um like approaches Letty. Like Letty's there, and Letty is leaving in a rush, in a hurry. And Diana is like, Letty, do you know where Tick is? Like she's asking for help, and Letty. Being a black woman with so much on her shoulders can't see that Diana is asking for help. And this breaks my heart because even in this moment, she's being unprotected by a black woman. Like you would hope that we would see in our children, oh my gosh, I got you, girl. But Lady is too, she in this whole like soap opera drama with Tick and Jihad, and she just can't see that this child is asking for help. And she's like, girl, call your uncle. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, Letty.
1: I know that was another miss for poor Diana. So (laughs) Letty goes on about wherever she is headed. And as she's walking, Diana, like, is watching her walk off. And then she kind of calls out to her, like, low-key scared, like, uh, Letty. And Letty's like, uh, yeah. And she tells her like, go get some water or something. But she can see Topsy and Bopsy behind her. (laughs) And they are doing their thing, little poking out and dancing and shucking and jiving and hitting all the moves. So she decides to like run away or get away from them. Instead of going inside the house like we thought she would have, she actually notices Woody like parked on the side of the house. So she rolls by and starts looking in the car. I think she looks in the picnic basket. And then I'm going to say Topsy, one of the girls. Topsy pops up in the window. Girl, she hollered and then found a bike that was so perfectly placed.
0: Yeah. It's
1: it's a white neighborhood. she She got the hell up out of there. I was like
0: Cause girl, it's a white neighborhood so you know they just leave their bikes and stuff out because ain't nobody gonna touch your stuff you know this ain't the hood so she's like oh a bike girl i didn't see you know i didn't see topsy-turvy them because i heard scary music and i said turn my head Yo, and I, they, I,
1: they had no words in this episode all they did was show up and dance they embodied everything they created the fear that you experienced they acted their asses off.
0: It also, this is probably a good time to pause and say that Misha Green said on Twitter that this episode was very much um, inspired by minstrel shows and Uncle Tom, of course, because we know she's like, what's scarier than racism, than minstrel shows? Um, but it's also inspired by the Devil Doll chapter in Matt Ruff's novel. So there's a chapter in Bloodcraft about devil dolls and Misha is a huge fan of Nightmare on Elm Street and it and I can totally see all of that um so and all and those are all things that I hate so that is why I'm scared. Nightmare
1: on Elm Street here for it. It wasn't my jam
0: I loved it when I was like 12 but then somehow the world got a hold of me and I started believing that that shit was real and to this day if I see a photo of Freddy Krueger or a striped shirt it freaks me out. So I just yes. cannot do it. It's too much, but good job, Misha and good job to Ioma because we see all of that in this. So y'all definitely get a good job of um, showing us what you intended to show us. Um, now so on the
1: South side of Chicago.
0: Now we back on the South side of Chicago. We just making our way all the way around Chicago today. <laughs>
1: Matros is chilling on the curb, sipping on his flask. I wonder what his drink of choice is. I imagine it's like a cognac or a bourbon or something.
0: Yeah, I want to say whiskey. I just feel like he, he giving me whiskey vibes.
1: I can dig it. And Tick rolls up. He got the bag looking like he on a mission. And he updates him on D. And then Tick <laughs> randomly is like, Did you cheat on my mama? And I'm like, oh, they haven't actually officially hashed that out. I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about everything else that's important. He's like, let me get this out the way first. And Montrose doesn't answer him immediately. And then Tick kind of being all, I don't know, passive aggressive, decides to walk off. And then Montrose is like, nah. Like I never cheated on her. I had some temptations, but I never acted on those. I didn't do anything until she was gone. And that kind of like breaks the ice. Tick comes over and ends up sitting on the curb with him. So it, it was a result of this that I feel like Tick was feeling a little better about being in Montrose's presence. Even though he didn't express his emotions about everything that came up when he found out and how that led to him being reared or raised, I do think that he wasn't about to beat his face in or so angry. So this, what happened between the two of them here was really beautiful.
0: It was a beautiful moment. It looks like this is the first time we're seeing Montrose have a drink and it looks like he's been clean because before we see him, he's like sloppy drunk or he's irate or whatever. So it, even with how he was dealing with D, a lot of that might be because he's sober or mostly sober. Um, it looks so he's, good
1: on you, Montrose. Looks. It good. looks
0: look real good. And you know, when you see two men sitting on the curb, it's a serious conversation being had. Uh, okay. but yeah I definitely like this this moment and then Montrose goes on to explain that when he was eight years old a pastor at his church was caught with another man in the park and the pastor was like "It's a rumor it didn't happen but the police snatched him up out of the pool fit and of course called him a perverted demon and put him in an insane asylum because you know um, sexual quote unquote perversion was a mental illness for some time and of course you know you are man and you like man. so something has to be wrong with that right that's that was their thinking and they gave him a lobotomy they cut out half of his brain trying to cure him from wanting to be with men and when matro saw that him being a little boy he must have already known how he felt he saw that and knew that he didn't have a choice he had to choose life over being out because the threat of being outed was very real. It wasn't just a like, oh, I bring shame to my family. I'm embarrassed. Like he saw actual consequences. Right. Um, I thought that was a very important distinction because I know I got on his head really hard on um, about how he's treated Sammy. And I still think that that's not justified. But I do want to acknowledge that it it's not always been easy to be gay, and especially not always easy to be Black and to be gay. And this is why most of y'all can miss me with this faux intersectionality bullshit, because you guys are not really talking true intersectionality. Intersectionality, in this case, is Montrose being a Black gay man and having to deal with the realities of already being Black, already being, you know, systemically oppressed for being a Black man. And then on top of that, also being gay. That's that's true intersectionality. It's not you being a POC who was raised by a transracial adoption. And then it, that, no, this is what we're talking about. Um, so I can understand why he stayed in the closet so long. And I think he made some good points because he also tells Tick that like the love that him and Dora had was the deepest kind of love. They had familial love. They had both lost their families All they wanted was to build a family together and that's what they did. And I was like, oh, so this was like an arranged marriage of sorts where it's it's like there wasn't that romantic love, but they loved each other truly and deeply. And so if Tick had any questions about whether his parents actually loved him, Montrose was like, let me put that to bed. We loved each other and we loved you because we placed family above our individual needs. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of Black folks, I think people of color do it too, but especially a lot of Black people do this whole, like, community above personal, family above personal. Like, I know I was raised like that. It's like, it's not what you want. It's about what's best for the family. Yes. And I like that moment between them. It was a very touching moment.
1: It was so touching, that tick. Tells Montrose that Letty's pregnant, even though she hasn't told him yet. And tells him that when he went through the portal, he actually went to the future and he received a book that he found out was actually written by his son. So I know last episode we were kind of left thinking, like, is did Uncle Daddy George like write this book? And did he change history in some sort? But Tick says this is actually his son.
0: Mm. So he so named him. Like, he named his son after his daddy. So that means to me,
1: <laughs> Uncle Daddy George is Uncle Daddy George. That's his daddy. Because you
0: don't name your son after your uncle.
1: Well, you could if your uncle meant that much to you and he died prematurely. I could see it.
0: You could but you know how black folks are. We gonna call you a junior no matter what. Like your daddy ain't shit, but
1: <laughs> we'll we'll Yo- see.
0: So that, and that was was like, oh my gosh, that was cute. So that's how, so now we know that's how he knew Letty was pregnant because he went to the future. But now I have even more questions because Hippolyta was very clear that she did not go travel through time. She traveled through alternate universe. So we have Hippolyta traveling through alternate universes, but Tick actually traveled through time. So I'm like, wait a minute. How did... How did these things happen separately and at the same time?
1: I know this is am weird Astrophysicist, thing. I'm going to blame it on all the portals.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yeah, there's a lot going on here and um, just a lot of touching father, son, father, uncle, uncle, son, I don't know, moments. Um, and it seems like Montrose is aware that he can't undo the wrongs of the, of the past, but he could do better going forward. Um, i like that, that. Look, that's
1: that's the best we could ask for just keep doing better
0: just just do better just do better don't just be do better do better and so now we have letty trying to do better because she's at a church and she is praying and praying and praying because the fervent prayers of the righteous avails much now i don't yes, know how righteous you. she is <laughs> But I think this is so funny because Letty, we know she don't really mess with the church, but she falls back on the only thing that she knows, which is let me go in here and talk to God because this is what y'all say we supposed to do. And she's telling in the prayer, she's saying how magic is like the devil because it's just haunting them and it's testing them. She's worried about Tick. Um, she asked God to protect Tick and to put a, a shield of armor around him. When she said put a hedge of protection around my baby. What I thought about that and I go, listen here, Black men, where would y'all be if it were not for the prayers of Black women? Come on, Ellen
1: Bayer. I had a praying grandmother, a praying mama, a praying auntie, a praying play cousin.
0: Where would you be? And I think this is why so many Black women, we get in our feelings when Black men say derogatory things about us not us specifically, but just in a general sense, or they try to make it seem like, oh, you know, well, these kind of women are more exotic and black women ain't shit. We don't really care how you feel. The thing is, is like, where would you be if it were not for us? Like at the very least, you can have your preference. You can, you can feel however the hell you want to see. Keep my name out of it. Cause all I do is get you here and try to keep you here. That's all I've ever done and I think this is that moment where we see Letty like she's not praying for herself she comes in that room praying for her man and then she prays for Mamie and Emmett's family like she's very much being about the collective um Listen, that's how you she, pray she ain't say shit about about D though like I was like come on now somebody gotta say a prayer you for D like
1: everybody else forgotten about D at this point right
0: Everybody forgot about D. And uh, Christina walks her ass in here. And I'm like, she just feel comfortable in all these black ass spaces. Like you didn't walk your ass in a black church while a woman is praying. Like that's real, like that's stepping on toes. She is having a personal conversation with her God. And Christina's like, oh, I didn't figure you to to be a woman of faith. Mind your business. I thought you knew everything. I talked to Jesus. That's okay with you? Like, what the hell? You trying to go back to the garden? of Eden? like, what's good? Old Testament, New Testament, what's good? Like, <laughs> and oh,
1: Old Testament, New Testament, what's good? Sorry, that, was te- that took me out, y'all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Letty is like, well, I've been like this since I died and then you, somebody brought me back. So it's kind of on you. And they're talking about the difference between magic and miracles, and Christina is saying they
1: dialogue
0: here. Yeah, Christina is saying, "Well, they're they're the same. Um, they're not the same." And Letty is like, "Well, how are they really different?" Right? Magic seems to be bringing people back from the dead. Magic seems to be causing harm. Magic seems to be protecting. Like, seems an awful lot like miracles occurring. Um, mm-hmm. And Christina goes into this long soliloquy about. Most men having God complexes and how they want to live in heaven, but not in hell, and failing to understand that God is in both, that God is duality. Um, And I was like, Yes, I love that because that's why y'all can miss me with that love and light shit. Like, it ain't love and light, it's love and light that ass up. It's duality. I'm gonna love you, and I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna light that ass up. But, like, oh, bless, many blessings, love and light, you know to my, like everyone, you know, saying, I don't wish death upon, you know, who, who allegedly contracted COVID. Like I wish death on whoever wished death on me. You don't like me. I don't like your ugly ass either. Like and I think Christina highlighted that she was like, it's not only about heaven. It's also about hell. There's lightness and there's light and there's dark. And I think that is the uh, second part of the missing component that Letty and Tick, um, Is missing where they can't like really harness their power because one, they haven't fully come to a full understanding that they do have the power, but they also are not fully comfortable operating in their darkness. And that's also something that the shaman said to Gia. Remember the shaman was like, you have to fully come into your darkness in order to be able to utilize what it is that you have in order to be able to lift this curse. Um, so I liked that conversation. I did not like it being said by Christina. I just don't like when she say anything. I just be like, ugh, shut up. Um,
1: you and amiibo. And she always comes off like borderline condescending about it. Like, ma'am, stop it.
0: Yes. So, Letty asked her, like, so do you want to be God like that? Is that what you're trying to do? And Christina's like, I'm pretty sure you didn't ask me here to talk about what I want to do. What What did you ask me here for? So now we see that Letty and Tick making secret deals with the devil or Christina. And we go. Lady pulls out the negatives of Titus' pages and tells her that she could have them if she makes Atticus invulnerable. And I'm like, here we go again. She's trying to protect her man, mm-hmm. but not herself. And Christina, I don't know why she said this. She said, no, I'm not doing it for Atticus. I'll do it for you, though.
1: I can't figure out why she did that either. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm like, is it because of the the symbol that she just she taught Atticus? Does she know that Atticus doesn't need it? Um, is she just trying to align with with Letty?
1: I wonder if she. I was like, oh well, maybe she knows Letty's pregnant, and since Letty would have the continued Letty Let legacy, then it might make sense to protect Letty because Letty's protection carries through to the child. I don't know.
0: Yes. I I was wondering that same thing. And so Letty's get ready to leave. Um, And but Letty gives Christina the negatives. And then Christina starts saying something in the language of Adam and she touches Letty's side and we see her skin getting red and it's bubbling and it appears to hurt. And Christina tells her that she now has the Mark of Cain, which is the invulnerability spell. So she's just used the invulner- invulnerability spell, um, which is her father's spell, which is also the same spell that they used to bring to heal Letty in the first place when she was shot before. Um, so, and we oh. notice, yeah. And we notice that this is the same Mark that was on William's chest
1: bro um, so now I'm like confused because it wasn't on William's dead chest. So is it on, it's just on Christina and it manifests on her, his chest when she's William?
0: Yes, that. And also it kind of looks like Tick's birthmark on his um, back. Although mm-hmm. it's smaller, which also looks like the same birthmark that his like great aunt or. Yeah whoever had so i'm like is that also why she didn't give him the invulnerability spell like does he already have it i don't i don't know girl i don't know it's a lot it's a lot going on this in this scene um but also in biblically we know that guys promised to offer cain divine protection from premature death so that is most likely why it's called the mark of cain um but yeah, that's a it's a lot going on in that scene. But like I said, she had a praying grandma, or in this case, she had a praying gr- mother, and um, they said train up a child in the way they should walk, and when they get older, they will not depart. Letty just like let me call on these on this guy. So now we are back at we're back to Diana on her own again, and she comes out of an alley on this bike. And she notices cops eating pizza, um, not donuts, because it's nighttime. Duh. They eat donuts in the morning, pizza at night. Duh. And <laughs> the streets are empty, and she's looking around for Captain Lancaster. And Topsy and Boxy pop up behind her. I don't know what happened, because the minute they popped up, I popped out. So,
1: Man, this one is where we saw the night run episode long fingers things happening they just keep giving me more and of course they were dancing their asses off i just i was so impressed with them and just when we think they're about to grab diana she drives off on the bike keeping me holding on
0: come on come on d make it out and so now we're at somebody's house i'm not sure whose house is um but Montrose and it's Montrose and Tick and Montrose is telling Tick, like you should have never get gave, gave Christina that key. Um, Tick's like, she can't use it. She doesn't have, it's broken. The, the time machine or whatever is broken. Um, but then Tick tells Montrose about what happened to him when he went through the portal. And He's telling him that also Hippolyta may be trapped in the future. Now, we know that this is not true because in the last episode, Hippolyta has free reign to travel throughout the universes as she chooses. Mm -hmm. Um, But Tick doesn't know that. And so he thinks his aunt needs their help. And so what happened? So he's telling Montrose what happened when he went to the future. And what was that that happened?
1: Yeah, he says that it was chaotic and that he showed up and there were some white people rioting and there was this woman in a hood that put a book in his hand and pushed him back through the portal. And I said, "I don't even know if it's worth me asking more questions about this." <laughs> <laughs> but he also shares that Lovecraft Country was actually written by his son and it's their family story with a few changes and The changes that he lists in regards to Uncle George surviving Artem, um, D being a boy named Horace, was actually a huge shout out to Matt Ruff in the actual novel Lovecraft Country. And he talks about Christina as well, even though I think in the book, Christina's actually a male named Caleb, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Tick says there are enough similarities for him to know that some of it is actually true. So Montrose asks a very good question, like, just tell me, is there a happy ending? Like, that's all I really need to know about. And he's like, Christina Braithwaite actually sacrifices me to become immortal on the Autumnal Equinox, which we find out is five days from now. So... Tick knows that casting a spell can kill him, even though this is still something that he wants to do, but he feels he has to make every effort to do what's right for the chance for him and his son to live. And then Montrose asked him, or he asked Montrose for advice, basically like, what would you do? And Montrose is like, look, son, you know, I thought that I was going to die by the hands of a white man, whether I was going to be hung or whether they were going to shoot me. And this magic he's like magic is way more jazz and he's like I'm gonna do whatever I need to do to protect and save my son and my grandson even if it kills me and I said wow now here is Montrose offering himself as a sacrifice
0: mm-hmm. come through Paw. sometimes you know sometimes parents they don't do right during the parenting phase but they they really come up when the grandparent yeah. they become a Pawpaw and a Yaya and they all of a sudden got it figured out like wow you couldn't have did that shit when you was raising me cool but I love it. I, I just like seeing this was the transformation that I want to see for Montrose. Like I wanted to see him to be aware of the damage that he has done and to acknowledge it and to try to do better. And he appears to be doing that. And I think that's how we heal generations by being honest and stepping up and not just being like, well, it is what it is. Because I was, you know, all my family got killed and, you know, blah, blah. no, you still can. Be different, and so I love to see Montrose stepping up to be a stand-up guy. Um, we and knew so now, him. we yeah, we knew it was, and I think also he had to get off that. You know, he had to get a little dry, homie. Was real wet off that, off that yak or whatever it is he keeps in his bottle. So, um, so now we are back at at the lodge, and we see Captain Frankenstein, aka Lancaster, and one of his. Cronies and they're in his office or whatever together. Lancaster's reading the paper and Letty is on the front page for crossing the color line in in the north side and he makes comment about not knowing how much magic they have but knowing that she has some magic and they have to be strategic with how they come at Letty because again they're trying to find the Ori. They're trying to find the key. They have no idea that the, that has already happened and that Christina now has the key. They have no idea that that's happening. And they're doing all this talking, and one of them is arranging flowers, which I think is weird. I'm like, y'all having all these conversations and you putting the floral arrangement together? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And D, D bust in with all the questions. Literally. Is my mama dead? You know, like, and, probably. <laughs> nigga, like, and then she's like, What happened when you spit on me? And he's like, Well, I couldn't have you telling nobody about the little conversation we had. So essentially, he put a curse on her to her for her to shut up like if she tried to tell anybody what happened they wouldn't believe her or she couldn't get it out or whatever the case may be um also she's like well what happens if whatever you've put on me last or whatever and can you remove it he's like i can remove it but you got to do something for me first do you know what the or is and she's like first of all i'm not stupid do you know who my mama is my mama is Hippolyta okay she named a star and everything stupid I know where the ory is and she's like yes I know where it is and he's like well I need you to retrieve it from Lenny's house um also she checks oh boy and she was like first of all Hippolyta's Greek dumbass listen
1: I was here I for all of that
0: and when he says, you know, I can lift this curse as long as you bring me the Ori, whatever, she like thinks about it. Then she spits on him. She said, fuck you. And it stinks in here. And I, I love D. I just love this little girl so much. And this is what I mean about her having the power, even though she doesn't realize she has the power, she walked in there. She told the men about themselves with her words and her actions. You spit on me, I'm going to spit back on you. Now, I would have hoped she would have came with some kind of... Listen, and I would have hoped she had a little curse or something. She could have said, you know, I'm rubbing your glue with sticks. You know, she could have said something. She, but and nobody... Was <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Y'all mama's a bitch, but she haven't... Nobody's taught that. her that. Nobody taught her anything, and when she said it smells in there, and I was like, "Oh, that that's why the they."
1: Closet.
0: Not only that, but mind you, Captain Frankenstein has black flesh sewn on him, so they keep flowers around because he's riding flesh, like in that room, like wherever he is. Yeah. Um, and so one of the so she bounces, and this was just a great moment, and the. The Choney was like, do you want me to go get her? And he's like, nah, she's as good as dead. And I'm like, what? Mm. What do you mean? Mm. And so Dee's walking out and as she walks out and gets on her, her bike, uh, Topsy is following her and there's a audio being played in the background. There's a poem. This is a poem by Naomi Wadler or it's a speech by Naomi Wadler was a young black girl and she's speaking for other young black girls and she's talking about how young black girls are often forgotten and unprotected and this is something that the show does very well because that's exactly what's going on with Dee. Um, no one is protecting the child, even the black women, even her mama everyone is too caught up in their own shit and she's left to fend for herself um, and the Topsy and Bopsy or whatever are trying to trap her but D she said I ain't never scared Hope, I ain't never scared side, and she just rolled right past them like whatever that was a lot
1: that was a lot but I really like looking back in the chatting in terms of like the speech and where that was placed and after it happened what setting it was in I thought it was very appropriately placed and I just love how the show challenges you to think like and how they've dropped things in it throughout this entire episode that have kind of led us to the theme of it. But then like, boom, this the speech or this excerpt right here, like just really throws it back in your face in a less subtle way. And I was just like, this was well done. I was Yes,
0: it's so, so, so well done. And now we're at Montrose's house and Tick is drawing out the symbol that Christina gave him under the guise of protection spell in his blood on the ground while Montrose reads the spell aloud from the pages. Um, and he's reading and you're like, wait, is that what it says? Because sound like it's a little mixed up and but I had
1: the subtitles on and I was reading them like that sins don't make no sense
0: <laughs> <laughs> that don't make any sense and Tick is like let me help you because you didn't actually switched up the word you're supposed to say this and you said that and my Montrose is like I'm dyslexic and I'm like a was that even even something that people were aware of back in this time and B like, Because the way w- when he said it, Tix just accepted it, like, oh, yeah, dyslexia. I'm like, no, nah, that's a conversation, right? Like, what is, disgust- what is dyslexia?
1: Oh, he was and- like, since when? He was like, since I was a boy. <laughs> 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 Anything else you need to tell me that you think I should know? I'm like, my trust just that shit in there. That was so funny to me.
0: And I'm also like, should we be having, like,
1: should he be reading a spell? That part. Like, I'm like, he's uh, demonstrated that he might mix this up the next time he reads out loud. You okay with this?
0: Yeah, so they like, we all we got. Bad, bad bitch e and we all we got. So he tells Tick, come on, let's just hurry to get started before we get scared. We're going to lose our nerve. So Montrose keeps reading in the language of Adam and Tick is standing in the area and everything looks normal. And Montrose ends it with the Amen. And then he he does the the uh, little Catholic the, cross the little Catholic <laughs> cross thing and take a look at him he like what it can't hurt like he like we ain't even Catholic what are you why are you doing that Ashley that's does what right. and um, now they're waiting to see what happens and like nothing seems to happen and they're like oh shit that didn't work because like there's no rumbling no wish of wind nobody feels different so I'm like see y'all shouldn't have let him read it because he didn't set it wrong and now it doesn't work.
1: My question is like Tick is the one that has direct lineage to the Sons of Adam so I guess this is our general question because we're trying to figure out how Captain Lancaster can cast spells but he's not officially in the order so I guess it makes sense that Montrose would be able to cast it. I thought I would have expected Tick to have to be the one to actually say the spell. Mm. And Montrose came off like he was reading the language of Adam, like he he done been to a couple ceremonies. I'm like, how hey, do get your accents together?
0: That part, as well as Christina has already told us that intention and energy and body, and Montrose had all of that. He was a body. He definitely was saying everything with intention. And he, he, I mean, he was saying everything with a great energy, but his intention also was, I will do whatever is necessary to protect my family. And so I was like, well, how can this fail? But it looked yeah. like it did.
1: <laughs>
0: well, it looked like it Every fell.
1: spell cast doesn't have to create like an earthquake. It doesn't have to be over the top. So this this'll be interesting. I'm still convinced that he didn't cast it right though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this was the job to give your daddy like there was a time for you to show up for me. This probably was not the moment. But anywho. But, you know, if somebody was looking out for D D could have been there. But nobody knows where Dee's at. She's just wandering around doing her own thing, trying to escape these demons. So now we're at the dock of some dock and Christina's there and there's two men with her. And she's paid them to do something. And I'm like, what does she pay them to do? Like, is she going to hand over the key to them or whatever? She says something very quickly in the language of Adam and she turns around and they start beating her ass. Just beating her ass. And we see her like visibly in pain. And I'm like, oh, she must have removed that invulnerability spell. But why would she do that? Like who would pay somebody to whoop their ass? And then I noticed that there was like a ream of barbed wire. Right. And I don't, I didn't remember what a fan from a cotton gin looked like, but I was like, oh my gosh, she's trying to recreate what they did to Emmett. And I was like, this is not what she asked of you dumbass." ass. Why. Like, do you let, la- you can't drum up any empathy. You can't understand logically from an, in- from an intellectual point of view, how black people would feel. You have to physically try to put yourself through it. The fuck? That's not what anybody asked you to do. Like I thought she was maybe going to like go and find the men who did it and like kill them or something. But like this that girl. That made
1: much more sense.
0: I... Much more sense.
1: I didn't understand the purpose of this. And for what it was, I felt like it uh, downplayed what actually happened to Emmett. I'm like, she should have been beat up worse.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You cannot recreate it. That's not how it works. And so we find out that she had removed the invulnerability spell prior to that happening. And when she said those words before they started whooping her ass, she reinitiated it because they shot her and then they dropped her in the water and she's down there for a few seconds. But when she comes back up, she's gasping for air and she pulls her shirt apart and she's, we see the mark of Cain is there. So she does have invulnerability. She also gets up and she's laughing and crying at the same time. And so I'm like, this is not, Oh, I wanted to make sure this spell works. You already know the spell works. This is you. Like, I can't fathom this unless I put my body through, you know, it's just stupid. really dumb. Um, Again, it's, you know, it's performative allyship. You're not really an yeah. ally. That's
1: that's that's good. Yeah. Now we're back at uh, Letty's. She's in the dark room developing some film, and we can hear stormy weather playing in the background and the the words that they had just in that moment. Since my man and I ain't together, I said, "Come on, music ministry. Come on." Um, and they're discussing Emmett Till's wake and and the the idea of bravery and Letty feels less brave because she didn't feel comfortable or as if she was able to take pictures at the wake. But Mamie was so brave in that she only wanted it to be done in the fashion that everybody would see what happened to her son and what he looked like as a result of it. And Ruby, I thought Ruby was a good sister here. She's like, you know, you can't feel guilty for choosing to protect yourself first And I think that's what happens to a lot of especially black women where, because we're so communal, we're sacrificing for family, sacrificing for our men, sacrificing for our children. That oftentimes when it comes time to needing a moment for ourselves, we feel guilty about that shit. And we shouldn't, we should not have to, let alone should we, because when we take those moments for ourselves, we're able to show up better for all of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And Letty also takes this time to share with Ruby that she's pregnant (laughs) Ruby's just like, damn, like, you did not really got yourself into something now. And <laughs> <'Cause> I'm like, <laughs> and then Letty thinking she uh, letting her in on something says, girl, you don't know the half of it. And then Ruby spills all her tea, girl. She's she like, I know, I know about know. your magg- magic. I know about George. I know about, she's like, how? From that white man you sleeping with? And then she was like, mm, he's only a man sometimes. I'm like, how are you so coy just slipping that in there?
0: Mm-hmm they be like, so you have been spying on me? Yes. Yes, sis. Yes, she has. No, why would you think that? <laughs> like, girl, because you lay in bed with Christina every night. Duh. Um, and Ruby is like, sh- Letty's like, girl, you are being played. You don't know Christina. Christina- That's what she does. She plays people, sis. And Ruby's like, you don't know. Like, she's going to teach me and We love each other and I'm getting what I want out of it. I'm not being used at all. And she's going to teach me magic. First of all, you just learned about magic, the existence of it last week. Have a seat, sis. (laughs) She's going to teach me magic. And she tells us about the potion that allows her to turn into a white lady. And Letty is just like, girl, you are all kind. I didn't see I didn't see I didn't been through, I didn't seen my man go through a portal. My man been missing. Hippolyta been gone. I didn't seen a lot of shit, but you talking about turning into a white lady? Now that's crazy. What you that's talking about? silly talk. And uh, she tells her about working at Marshall Fields and how she now has higher aspirations. She doesn't just want to be white. She's sick of forgiving every space that she's entered just because it's not for her. She wants to create her own space. And Christina is going to teach her. Um, and Letty doesn't believe it at all. And someone tells Letty they need to get upstairs. Letty needs to get upstairs immediately. But I did want to point out that I'm happy that Ruby finally has higher aspirations. Like if this is what it takes <laughs> for you to want to be more than a perfume girl, great. Um, but I think
1: also- it was more than that though that came out of this. Like, cause before I thought she I thought it was just that, that she wanted to be a perfume girl. But like she actually said at some point she thought she wanted to be white and I'm just like, damn, like that's some real ass internalized racism that even though our situation is as fucked up as it is, that you would prefer whiteness over that. Like, it. Yes.
0: And also that reminds me, there was a point when she was having sex with William and she she took the potion, one of her eyes turned blue. Yeah, Like exactly. one of her eyes stayed blue and I was like, okay, the bluest eye anyone. So you're absolutely right. It was actually about her wanting to, aspiring to be white, right? Because that is the premise of the bluest eye. Um, I'm happy she has higher aspirations, but I also feel like this is very relatable to how a lot of black people are feeling right now, because a lot of, a lot of this time we've been taught that integration is the key. And a lot of black people are coming to the conclusion, like, listen, integration is a scam, baby. I don't want to okay. be with you and we share and all of that. Nah, give me my just due. I want equity, I want equality, and I want all the shit you stole from me for $300, Alex. That's what I want. And I want to be left the fucking law. Now, if that means that you and I go to the same school and we work in the same place, that's cool. But that's not a necessity. And I think that's where Ruby is. She's like, oh, I have been sold some dreams that are full ass lies, and I don't want that anymore. Um, right on. And I also feel like Letty being pregnant now it it has softened her because she's usually such a like I feel like she would have went harder on Ruby like what and she just was like I don't girl I don't have the patience I have a little I'm a little nauseous it's a lot going on you on your own you're on your own so they tell her Letty needs to get upstairs immediately and now we're back at Earl's garage and Dee is in there. And she seems to have some kind of plan. Like she's on a mission. She's like locking and unlocking doors and like moving things around. And we're back at Letty's and she's run upstairs and there's a loud knock on the door. And she opens the door and it's a whole bunch of police. And they're like, we're looking for Letitia Lewis.
1: Come on, government. Um,
0: Actually, I don't know if they knocked on the door. Didn't they kick the door down?
1: Well, they op- They ended up opening the door. First, they looked out the windows and stuff. And then I'm like, they actually opened the door because they were like, you know, open up. We got a, a warrant. And Ruby asked to handle it. So. And have. I'm
0: like, this is the thing where I'm like, if there was a time for you to use that potion, if there was ever time for you to be a white woman, it's now.
1: Bro, you all up in my head because I thought the same thing. I'm like, you need to take the potion now.
0: Because the only people that white police officers listen to are white women and white men. And you have the ability to become a white woman. Where are your potion at, sis? Don't you tuck it in your cleavage. Just tuck it in there. Pull it out. Yeah. God. God, man, you picking the wrong times to be black, sis. So so now we're back at Earl's garage and D has a pipe. And again, this is that the thematic of baseball because she looks like she has a baseball bat. she looks like a baseball player she got a baseball hat on she got that pipe she ready she like come on come on demons come on topsy and bopsy and whoever hell i'ma whop y'all asses um she's like waiting she's like anxiously waiting but what she does is she grabs some paper and a pencil and she starts scribbling and i think this is so interesting because d doesn't D is not fully aware of her power, but she does know one gift that she has is drawing. Yeah, and and what she's essentially doing is scripting. And we know that what she draws and writes in the stories that she tells can manifest because she manifested Arinthia Blue. Her mom literally was living in a universe that her daughter had created, and so yep. D is using part of her power. Uh, but this further is just like, "Where is your mama?" Like. Hippolyta learned all this shit about you got to name yourself, who you want to be. Like she learned all of these things about personal power, about how to use your power. And D could use that right now. And she does not have that information. Um. I so I was trying to figure out why she drawing it. Is she drawing this to manifest is she drawing this just so she leaves a record? So if something happens to her, somebody knows what these things look like and what happened. Whatever I she's it doing. Was
1: more of the latter.
0: Yeah, whatever she's doing, she's very, very smart. And I'm just like, please, dear God, let D make it through.
1: Well, now that she understands how that spell works, right? It prevents me from being able to talk about it. But like you said, I got other gifts where I can still communicate. So
0: So now That's we're so back funny. at Letty's. Yes. We're back at Letty's and the knocking continues. And Ruby's like, let me handle this because I don't want your baby born in, in jail. <laughs> but again, she don't turn to a white woman. She just opens the door. And what you
1: gonna handle, Ruby?
0: What you finna handle? And so one officer just walks right in. First of all, sir, that's not how this works. You said you had a warrant. Let me see. Um, so he just walk in. They say they got a tip about a known nation of Islam radicals organizing at her house in retaliation to Emmett Till's murder. This is all bullshit. And Letty says so. Um, and then Captain Lancaster tries to enter the house and he's blocked. Why? Because that protection signal that's on the outside of the door can't come in. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in, sir. No. Um So he realizes then that she knows more about magic than he bargained for. Ruby has no idea what happened. Now, just a few minutes ago, you was telling me that you was about to learn magic and all that. You don't even know a simple protection spell, huh? Talk about you know everything. You know everything. I know what you know. You know how to sex Christina and Will. That's what you do know. You don't know nothing else. Been up in the house. Been been up in the house living with the people for weeks and you can't help. You don't know nothing to help me. What the hell? Like, this is just a lot. So Lady fills her in. She was like, "It's a protection sigil. Protects the house." And this is where I'm at. Like, okay, you got all this protection around the house, but not for the occupants of the house. Right. Um, oh, I also feel bad for her. The people who are still rooming with Letty. Like every every week or so, some shit pop off at this house. It's like, uh,
1: it's too busy over here. I'm gonna move.
0: I'm going back to the south. I'm going back to the hood because this is a lot. Um, so. Um, but now Ruby knows that Letty knows some magic, and the next thing we know, they shooting, they shooting Girl, at the house,
1: just like some powerless white people who think they empower. When we get, we're going. They take us back and forth between Letty's and Earl's garage, but we're back at Earl's garage again, and we can see now that Topsy has entered the building. Listen, D got this pipe. And she started whooping that ass. And just as she's doing that, we see Bopsy come in and then they take us back to Letty. And I don't know how many rounds of ammo these police officers had, cause they look like they were shooting some tiny pistols, but they were shooting for a long time. And Ruby and Letty are on the ground you seeing stuff being broken and absolutely destroyed. And like, there's this moment where Letty sits up and you can start to see bullets bouncing off of her. And Ruby's like, Letty get back down. But I'm, Letty is like, Oh shit. That invulnerability <laughs> thing actually works. That thing worked.
0: It was like, wow. I love this. See, I love the way it was shot. Cause it was almost like things were moving in slow-mo. Like the sounds were muted. Like she was coming, she was becoming aware. Um, sensory wise that something was different in the atmosphere and I love this because we had already seen old boy come in, kick down the door and smack the chick I was like first of all Monica don't be rolling up in nobody's house and now I have questions of like why he was allowed to come in is it does the protection sigil just protect against magical beings or people with magic um how does that work because I don't know. It's just a lot of weird things going on, but I was glad to see that that invulnerability spell did work um, on Letty, and Letty comes to this realization, and I'm just like, oh, she's going to use this to her advantage now. She better. Yes, and so now we're back at Earl's garage, and Dee is in there screaming and yelling, and she's fighting Topsy and Bopsy, and Montrose hears her screaming, and he runs in, And she's fighting for her life, but he can't, he can only see her, but he gets a hold of her and he takes the pipe away from her and she's yelling, let me go. And we see blood on her white dress and we see her arm is bleeding, but he's like, he's stopping her from protecting herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm like, oh my gosh, the one time, one time one of y'all actually come in to help, you're not actually helping, you're hurting. And I, I don't, I don't really know if we can, I don't know if we can really blame him. You hear your niece screaming and hollering, you want to go help, but also bro, you just casted a whole spell. You've seen some shit. You see the girl is bleeding. This might be a moment where you just have to be suspend disbelief and be like, I don't know what's going on here, but how can I, like he could have said, how can I help you?
1: Anything other than holding her down.
0: So I think I, this
1: is also indicative of since we've been talking about just black children being unprotected, how we as black children or people can literally be going through internal turmoil and and you can see us working that out physically, but sometimes you're still oblivious to all that, and you think that these other measures, as you stated, are protection and they're not, instead of inquiring about what's going on or how you can be of assistance.
0: Yeah, it's like how how um especially people in the educational system or people in general assume that black children are quote unquote acting out, right? Like you try to restrain them, you know, you're like they're acting out, but why, what is going on? Have you stopped to ask her, how can I help you? What's going on? And also I feel sorry for Montrose because I feel like he has seen more than his fair share of violence and trauma in his life. And now like he was literally holding his brother when he died. True. And now he's holding Diana as she's being harmed by some invisible force. Like, he has to feel bad. I'm like, somebody please put Brother Montrose on a prayer list because this is a, like, he just can't catch a break, you know, and he's sober. Like, it's a lot. He's That's trying to real. deal with a lot. Um, And I'm like, oh, is this what Captain Frankenstein meant when he said she's as good as dead? Like, are these Topsy and Bopsy going to kill her? Also, where is that priestess at? Okay, she did, but like I know she did, but like ain't another priestess? Y'all can't call a tarot reader down the street. Um, y'all ain't got no no holy water, no Florida water, no. Somebody call somebody something. So now we back on the north side of Chicago, and Tick is walking to Letty's house, and he hears gunshots, and he takes off running he runs towards her house and realizes that there's a police ambush outside of Letty's house and they're shooting at Letty's house. And I mean, at this point, like, what can you do? He can't run in and say the day it's him versus 30 police officers, you know, which is one hella excessive. Like y'all don't have a better use of the police force. Like don't somebody need something, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and he sees Letty sees because they're telling him put your hands up stop or whatever and that signals to Letty she looks out the window and sees her man is outside he sees her seeing him and Letty now knowing that she got this protection she takes off running out the door towards her man while they're shooting at her
1: very too late
0: so she runs because one of the cops is has fired a round directly at Tick to kill Tick. And she's running to stop the bullet from hitting Tick. And she gets to Tick to stop him. And as soon as she does that, something burrows up in front of them from under the ground. And I'm like, oh my gosh, is this what I think it is? And it's a shogus. A big ass monster comes up from under the concrete and it heads directly towards the police officers. I mean, and it's ripping them, ripping them apart, eating them, throwing them, all Toss kinds the of cars. shit. It's tearing them mothers up. This was like a show from like if you ever been to Universal Studios. This is like one of those stunt shows where like the cars just popping up. You're like, oh, oh. this was a lot. Blood <laughs> splattering everywhere.
1: Yo, man, that show was going to town, and then. Letty and Tick are running away from it. That's what was interesting to me for what happened later. Like they're trying to protect themselves from it. And I could not tell for sure if this shogun took out Captain Lancaster. Um, because it looked like that was the last person that he went to deal with that was still shooting. And I was like, did he finally take him out? Like, is he done so? I hope so. I hope and, so too. Um then the shogun gets on top of the car and like starts Rushing towards Tick and Letty, and Tick puts his hands up. Girl, <laughs> and that and thing it. comes to attention and like screeching halt and just chills. So I'm thinking to myself, self, so, is this the spell that you intended to cast? Like you wanted a personal shogith as your protection? Mm-hmm.
0: That's, That's what Christina gave her. Wow! So that was her protection spell. It was a spell to bring forth a shogun and but I still don't understand why she would give that to Captain Lancaster. Um, but yeah, this whole scene, like, yeah, we were all fearful, fear kind of fearful, because we knew before in the first episode when they were encountering the shogas, the shoguns really didn't mess with them. So I've kind of always had the belief that like mm, for some reason they either don't touch Tick and Letty or they just don't fuck with black people like that. I don't know. But um when Tick put his hand up on some how to train a dragon shit. And that Shoguth was like at your service, sir. Like he was like a big ass dog. I was like, oh my gosh, like that's his master. This is a thing. Um, also, when Tick started running, when he heard those gunshots and he started running towards the house, despite the danger, I was like, see, this that real love. He ain't had this with you, Jihai. He, he ain't run towards you, sweetie. He ran away from you. This time he ran towards Letty because he was trying to save his his woman and his baby. baby. um, And I just was like also trying to figure out mm, how y'all going to explain this? Because now you got 30 dead cops, cars overturned. Like how do you explain this? All these things are going to magically disappear or um, also where's the show that's going to live? Like does he go back underground? Do you build a big ass doghouse? I don't no um and again this illustrated to me just like um severe misuse of power by the police and the miscarriage of justice like how you needed all these cops for a few black folk like magical or not this was excessive right and this i want letty and tick and everyone to know that the fact that they used all these people means that they should they should think more highly of themselves and their power. Like these people were so fearful of them that they brought a whole squad of police. And so instead of operating from fear, they need to realize that they should be feared. They should not be fearful. They're the ones, people should be scared of them. Um, It's just, plus also like some things, like when Tick didn't run into to the bullet, I was like, mm, that kind of doesn't make sense to me because today of all days, like Emmett Till's funeral just happened. Like if there was any day where you was like, fuck it, I'm willing to die. I would have probably been like, fuck it. Today's the day. Um, yeah. So there appears like there's some Tick knows something else that's preventing him from fully putting himself in harm's way. Um, I'm not sure why but I this also illustrated to me like you can't people can't talk about black people being inferior to anyone anymore um because my people have persevered and lived through so much like thinking of all the racism and the monsters and all of these things that these characters have experienced just so far in this show how they are still willing to fight like where does this wheel to persevere come from like they are not giving up no matter what right and I'm like who you know fresher than us like that to me is just kind of like it just makes me so proud to be who I am um, and how we've been able to maintain sanity like just look at Montrose all the things he's experienced The the fact that he's still alive and halfway sane is just like where does that will come from? Because he, for all intents and purposes, he could be just drink drunk out of his mind every day, all day and not functioning and not being a productive member of society, you know, but yet still he's fighting through that to get to the other side. Um, it's a lot. And also just to see how black people are loving and caring and taking care of each other and how, how Mamie was... Trying to take care of the community and take care of the world at large by saying this did not have to happen to my son, and I want you to see it, and I want you to come face to face with it, so we can prevent this from happening again. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but how Letty praying for her community and praying for her man, just how like Black people have consistently showed up and showed out for each other. Um, except Diana, of course. nobody's showing up for D and. Um, one last question, Pimpalita, sis, you floating around and having fun and all of that, but like, when are you planning on coming back home? Like, now you know your you know your brother in law ain't shit, Montrose ain't shit. You know he he's drunk most of the time, so why would you leave your child with him? You know Letty and uh Tick ain't really super responsible, so I wonder if in the alternate universe that she's in, if this week has just felt like a minute to her. Cuz I can't understand why she wouldn't
1: at least reach out
0: to her baby in some kind of way. Um, that's
1: that's a
0: question. Yeah, I'm those are, Yeah, those are questions that I have. I'm just like, well these these are the questions that I'm left with and I'm also wondering what Christina's going to do with her new knowledge of these pages and also the key to the Ori um, did Captain Lannister get got? I sure hope so. Um, there's a lot.
1: I'm wondering what's supposed to happen on Automa Equinox and hoping that next week we'll, we'll kind of wrap that up because I was wondering if that was the event after Gia came back and was basically like, you die. Is that the event where we thought we saw him dying? I have a new question now that you bring it up in regards to the birthright and the mark of Cain. I'm like, man, I should go back and look at the episode and see if that birthmark is similar in size. I didn't pick that up. Um, And I am really curious what happened to D. So we see her bleeding. He mentioned that she's as good as dead. Is she physically like losing her life in Montrose's hands? That would be a sick, twisted turn of events. Like, what's going to happen with D? And I'm just hoping that they don't leave us hanging for some of those storylines and, like, bring it back up in episode 10. Like, I want to see it in nine.
0: (laughs) And also, I feel like Gia did not go back home to Korea. She's still hanging around. So I'm like, is she going to be an ally to Tick and Letty despite Tick getting up in her ass? Or is she going to be an ally for the other side? Like, what's happening with that? Because I can't imagine y'all gave Sis a whole hour worth of airtime to just have her pop up and then disappear um good one. yeah and i i that whole t- um timeline like storyline is so problematic to me on so many levels because also it's like sis don't pop up at my house unless you got to tell me about some illegitimate child like are you pregnant like what's going on you popping off talking about my man is dead like he's been calling you collect you could have called him collect she could have told him to meet her at a hotel and you know Tick's dumb ass would have did it. So right. the fact that she popped up at <laughs> at Letty's house um, and I, I have to assume she knew that was Letty's house. Like she knew Atticus did not own a home and those things. I, I feel like maybe she's gonna be an ally for Letty's sake. Like maybe in, because of the future, she also saw, saw that Letty was going to have a child by... Um, tick um Maybe. but here's here's another question in that in that glimpse of the future we saw tick with a dark-skinned woman we did so what I mean, if
1: stuff in chronological order i mean
0: i don't know but what if letty is pregnant but that george freeman who is the child of tick is not letty's child what if it's the woman that was in the future I don't know. I have a lot of questions.
1: That George Freeman did have a little bit of... No color. Maybe maybe the the lighter skin didn't come on through.
0: I don't know what's happening with that because I'm like, why would y'all show us that just to leave us hanging? That's good. And it happened in the future and it happened prior to him dying. And from what we understand, there's only five days before the Equinox so like unless he plans on sleeping With somebody in the next five days Who's not letting I don't know So
1: don't we've got a lot of questions I know yeah. Y'all so, stop answering questions to create More just answer close Put check on the box and close the loop
0: <laughs> Recycle reduce reuse Please because um Also I was having discussions With Naima and Obatala About this about like how the series is so great, but sometimes it seems to be like kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And they were just making a comment of like, sometimes when you get a shot, when you get a show that's greenlit by HBO, you don't know when this opportunity is going to come again. So maybe the thought was like to try to do as much as possible, because what I'm really wishing now is I love the show. Don't get me wrong. I love the show with the exception of Jihad's episode that I could have done without, but there is a lot going on here and I kind of wish y'all would have chosen two or three story arcs and stuck to that because now there's like seven or eight things moving and we have Hippolyta in alternate universes but we have Tick going into the future and now we're introducing introducing um, similarities between Matt Ruff's timeline and then there's just it's, it's a lot a lot a lot a lot um, and so I'm wondering if they're going to close this up where it'll all make sense. But I kind of feel like they had so many amazing ideas and was like, let's shoot the shot. Like we've got the budget. This may or may not happen again in the future. Let's go ahead and do it. Um, so if anyone has any insight on that, I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah. Cause this is even one of those shows where it's like, it's so great. And I want another season, but I'm like, well, what really will you explore in another season that, you haven't explored in 10 episodes of this season because it's already a lot.
1: You're right. You are so right. I don't even know what a second season would look like.
0: Yeah. So, well, that's it for Lovecraft. Um, Episode eight, which was Jigabobo, which was a scary ass episode. I also think Jordan Peele had a a hefty hand in this one too, because a lot of you guys are saying this is a lot of his Hallmark stuff. And I don't know because Jordan, your shit scares the hell out of me. So, um, but it was great. Um, oh, it was yeah. So,
1: appreciate y'all for listening to us.
0: Yes. Follow us on our socials at NTPWR underscore podcast on IG, not Tyler Perry's writer's room on Facebook. Um, we may be doing a Twitch live at some point in the near future. So, look out for that. And um, until then, see y'all the same Black-ass time, the same Black-ass channel. And what?
1: Continue to defend, support, and protect Black lives, especially the children.
0: Thank you.